0: welcome to the podcast ladies and gentlemen this is your co-host morgan Wack, and i'm here with the chorus skating chorus skating what is that eddie Coruscating? oh skating
1: oh you know it's it's what i it's what i see in the morning when i look in the mirror exactly after i brush my teeth
0: it doesn't matter about the pronunciation does eddie pick his own adjective no he does not this is a this is a co-hosted uh, developed adjectives, and that listeners is our special guest for today, Carson Wack, who's back for the second time on the podcast, and uh, he's here to bring along some insights about libertarian philosophy and Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> yeah, if I, I
1: picked, if I picked my own adjective, I'd pick sexy every time.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had to cut it out. He actually does do that. We have to edit it out in the aftermath, so we spare the listeners um yeah so today we're here to talk about an article called the rise and fall of the silk road uh by joshua bearman i would assume um and it's on wired it's two parts it's an extremely interesting story, and I came to know about it through one of my professors, James Long, who teaches this story as a way of getting at the different incentives involved in corruption and the way kind of new technologies either enable or um, harm the ability to perform corrupt acts. Um, and so we, we all had the chance to read it, um, and we've gone through. So the article is back from 2016, but I think most everything pretty much holds up, and we have some, some updates um, in the aftermath but it is a fascinating article and I think we have we have Carson here to give us uh, a little overview as to what the article is um, and kind of the main actions that take place but if you want to pause the podcast now go read the article it's pretty long to be fair so if you're lazy this is this is your spot to have it summarized but if you're not it is well written and we'd encourage you to read it and otherwise uh, I'll, I'll toss it over to you Carson
2: Sounds good, yeah, so I'm just gonna jump through like a little bullet point summary of the, the two part. Um, yeah, I don't know if you mentioned that, but yeah, it's two, two parts, both pretty long, but yeah, here, okay, here goes. So it starts off, um, in high school, Ross Ulbricht, I think is how you say it, Ross Olbricht Ulbricht, um, drove a Volvo, smoked plenty of pot and still got a 1460 on his SATs. He got a scholarship to the University of Texas at Dallas where he majored in physics. Uh, got graduate scholarship to Penn State, but he wasn't happy with the drudgery of lab research. He'd been exploring psychedelics since college, reading Eastern philosophy, and became very interested in economics. Um, More specifically, the work of Ludwig von Mises, um, who was this uh, anti-Soviet Union libertarian, um, anti-government owning the means of production, that sort of stuff. Uh, Ross came to see taxation and government as a form of coercion enforced by the state's monopoly on violence. Uh, I think that's like a direct quote from the, from the piece. According to Mises, a citizen must have economic freedom to be politically or morally free. And eventually Ross gets the idea for the Silk Road, which is a website where people could buy anything anonymously, uh, mostly drugs with, yeah, no trail leading back to the buyer. Um, or the seller, I think, um, like most libertarians Ross believe drug use is a personal choice not to be regulated by the government. Uh, some of the, one of the first products on the Silk Road was Ross's homemade shrooms that he put up for sale. Um, he got some help from his uh, programmer friend, but by and large, he crafts this, uh, this Silk Road website by himself and it takes off, um. And at this point in the article, there's uh, there's an anecdote about this girl that he's dating named Jessica, and he, um, I think it's temp- attempting to humanize him a little bit. He he tells her that he doesn't want to lie to her and tells her about the site. Um,
0: Jessica's a total rat, huh? She just spoke straight to the reporters, huh? <laughs> Didn't hold anything back. Wait, did she? I don't remember that. No, I'm just saying. To, for her to be in the story, she must have, huh? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Or he, I mean, I guess he could have could have like told, like said that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, she probably did. They're like, tell us more about this dark website. He's like, wait, let me tell you about this girl. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there is a lot of that about his girlfriends. So, yeah, um, yeah. And at this point, it kind of cuts out to talk about this DEA agent. Um, there's actually it covers a couple little side plots about the investigations um into the silk road and about ross um we're gonna touch on that later for now i'll just say uh the dea um and the fbi were on the case and there's a really interesting little side plot about um this dea agent carl force who i won't say much about him now we'll touch on him later but he had heard about the silk road went undercover um and tried to kind of infiltrate and figure out who Ross was from the inside, posing as a buyer, um, on the Silk Road. And, uh, he finds about, uh, finds out about this Silk Road employee, Chronic Pain, who, um, he then sent drugs to and staged, uh, well, and did a real drug bust on this guy, busted this guy, Chronic Pain, and then afterwards um he so he's meanwhile he's he's messaging ross this whole time telling him like i can take this guy out if you need me to you know posing as a as help to ross um offering to beat this guy up for him um so that he does not tell the cops anything that sort of stuff um and ross obliges he says yeah i'll pay you whatever to beat him up and then later um force offers uh offers to kill him i can't remember if it was was it ross who says he'll kill him first or was it uh i I think he says
0: oh i need you to take care of something and then he kind of upgraded upgrades it later to ask for him to take him out completely first he says kind of rough him up and make sure he doesn't talk
2: yeah so at this point ross uh thinks he killed somebody. he thinks he put the hit out on somebody and they fake the photos like you can find them online um but yeah, this uh force fakes photos and um yeah for as far as Ross is concerned, he just ordered somebody to be killed so
0: and pays eighty thousand dollars to have it done right
2: I think so yeah yeah um so yeah, moving ahead. Ross is hesitant and regrets having to use muscle. Oh, yeah, this is about the the murder, but but yeah, he pays him, and then later, uh, yeah, I covered that. So so by now, Ross's attempted murder. He also wrote in his journal that every single transaction is a victory in the weakening in weakening the thieving murderous state. And the author says, "What began as a belief in free choice came to sound like revolutionary dogma." Um, and then. This site just gets too big for him um things get out of hand he's throwing money left and right to hackers and blackmailers um he orders the hit on a few other people um which it seems like uh i don't know if you guys read this but it seems like that wasn't like nobody actually died that was also a, like a that was a scam mm-hmm. um and yeah, nobody actually died. He just, uh, people just made off with the money. Um, so yeah, it's just blackmail. But yeah, this site is just, just getting out of hand. And yeah, from there, uh, the FBI agent, oh, I thought this was a cool little anecdote. So the FBI agent, uh, one of the FBI agents figured that whoever had started the Silk Road, probably tried to spread the word about it early on. And so He started digging around the dark web and stumbled on on the username Altoid boasting on shroomery.org that there was a new website where you could buy and sell anything anonymously um, just days after the Silk Road launched. And so this uh, FBI agent starts Googling for the username Altoid and he stumbles upon this Stack Overflow question, which asked, how do I connect to a Tor hidden service using cURL and PHP. Um, So just very suspicious um, dark web stuff, man. And Stack Overflow is a forum where you can ask questions and get answers to your questions about like, uh, programming, Um, yeah, issues with programming. I've solved countless um, issues with my code on Stack Overflow. Your black web, uh, Silk Road code? yeah a bunch of a bunch of uh tour stuff
1: i think that's the site i use to figure out how to reset my gmail password
2: yeah it's it's huge it's like
1: Uh, i'm just kidding yeah
2: yeah. (laughs) it it would do stuff like that though it's it's massive it's like uh yeah yeah i've I've been to that site like probably hundreds of times so
1: no yeah me too
0: eddie's very literate with the computer he wants everyone to know that (laughs) eddie can definitely get into his gmail (laughs)
2: But yeah, and so this, uh, w- this username uh, Altoid was linked with uh, the Gmail, Holbricht at gmail.com. Classic. Yeah, so pretty careless mistake, but um, I think the yeah, the author mentions in there, like, in an age of internet uh, where information lives in perpetuity, one tiny little mistake like that can uh, can do you in, um, and yeah, and like one minute later, he changed from Altoid to like Frosty, but it
0: was it was too late. Um,
2: and and that's how they found along, him.
0: passed along to the FBI some frosted tips. <laughs> so that's how they that's how they linked the identity
1: of. Wait, that was actually a pretty good joke. I Thank had you. to think about it. <laughs> <for> <laughs> like four seconds but i was like oh that's pretty good skip it over it
2: that's how they connected um the admin the dread pirate roberts as he went by um to his real identity russell russell bricked so yeah that's that's what i had by way of summary um did you guys want to add anything
1: um i thought there were a couple interesting characters along the way that, that we can talk about, but I thought that was a, a fantastic uh, overview of basically how everything went down. So thanks for that, Carson. One of the, it's it's interesting where the article starts. It doesn't start with Ross, but it starts with Curtis Green, a, a, a Mormon grandfather in the high desert hamlet of the Wasatch Mountains near Spanish Fork, Utah. It's a lot of how, nice names. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how he was um like one of the vendors or one one of like the middlemen who was uh trafficking drugs with ross and they call him his like lieutenant and um so that that was the guy that carson mentioned uh was the first to kind of like be fake killed and be yeah that was out.
2: chronic pain right yeah yeah
1: Cry- <laughs> i've just put that together <laughs> here's a 64 year old grandpa and his 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 uh, name is Chronic Pain. <laughs> That's really good. His handle.
0: Yeah, I would say the one the one thing I want to emphasize, just for the sake of discussion, is the kind of ideological fall that they build up to throughout the article. Kind of, he started off as more or less kind of a true believer in like libertarian idealism, um, and kind of descended, and then eventually. Kind of got to the point where he was having people killed, and was not responding to people's pleas about their kids dying on the site from overdoses, and really a lot of uh, you know very let's just say not good things that were occurring uh, because of of the dark web site that he was running, um, and it's, you know his seeming like it, because the article is, is long for an article, but you know short to encompass you know the moral downfall of this guy. Um, does kind of try to show how he gradually just kind of accepted it and and built it into his understanding of libertarianism as uh, kind of a more uh, free ranging and less principled version of of this ideology.
2: Yeah, I have a quote written down that touches on that uh, from the article. Can I read it really
0: quick? Yeah, for sure.
2: In a way, Silk Road was the logical extension of the libertarian view that animates much of the internet not to mention the rising political tide in Washington. It was Silicon Valley in extremis, a disruptive technology wrapped in political rhetoric. DPR, Dread Pirate Roberts, was its philosopher king, envisioned a post-state digital economy with the Silk Road as the first step toward a libertarian paradise. Not only was the Silk Road, was Silk Road a slap in the face to law enforcement, it was a direct challenge, as DPR wrote, to the very structure of
0: power. No, that seems like a good summary um yeah so where do you want to start i know we want to talk about just kind of some of the crazy things that happen in the story to kind of um dig into some of the interesting technologies and political happenings that this is a precursor to because this happened between 2011 and 2013 at least the, the site was operational um and then the article came out a couple years later after he'd been sentenced Um, but we can also talk about just the political ideology that he stands for. That is, I will say, still fairly popular online, but pretty much only online (laughs) and not necessarily um, at least, I mean, I think there are versions of it that are closer to power than some other forms of ideology, but it is certainly a very strong strain in the internet cyberspace. Um, And I'm sure you guys have seen at least come across some of that as well.
1: Yeah. I think one corner of the internet that it's particularly strong on is reddit and reddit is mentioned a lot in these articles carson can you tell us why you're can you um explain why you think that reddit there were all these subreddits related to silk road and they were kind of um i mean that was on the regular internet right that they were talking about these things and these questions or was that on the the dark web
2: yeah i know i mean especially in the aftermath of him getting arrested, um, yeah, we didn't mention this because this was, you know, post the uh, the article coming out. But he was sentenced to two life sentences and forty years. Yeah, two life sentences in addition to forty years with no parole, no possibility of parole, which is pretty crazy, um, like just really harsh um, for a script. And I think that, in part, led to a lot of the the, the you know your your Reddit users banding together and. To them it was evidence that this was the state making an example of him because he flew too close to the sun and infringed on the rule of law um to not get too conspiratorial but um yeah i i mean i think in part it's also um in my mind there's like this neo libertarianism which as it's like masthead is this like shining bitcoin symbol and i think it's like that crowd that also has followed this really closely and sees ross as like a martyr for the cause for this libertarian bitcoin like led um yeah, neo i call it yeah now i
0: think reddit in particular has because they allow you to kind of categorize yourselves in specific communities a lot more of these types of really kind of dark webby type uh, communities that aren't necessarily hard to find. Like someone like something like Twitter and Facebook probably wouldn't have super similar communities, um, but that's just kind of a confound of what the site actually is.
2: Yeah, how much it's hard to tell, like how, mu- how much of it of this movement do you think is People truly holding this uh, this philosophical view versus, like, let's say, let's say Ross supporters, uh, particularly, how much of them are true libertarians, just following the philosophy, and how much of them are just we want free drugs and we want drugs to be legal, or not, right. free, not free. Sorry, not free drugs, but. Um, uh, like an, uh, to buy drugs anonymously, and we want you know the government out of our ability to to take drugs.
1: Right. Well, those go hand in hand, right? In the sense of if you take the libertarian philosophy seriously, um, drugs would be completely legalized and not regulated, to my understanding. Yeah. But
0: I think the thing is that libertarianism is not necessarily like a coherent movement. Like there are lots of different. It's like you know far left. Uh, politics or like when people say socialism what people are actually thinking of can wildly you know dissuade a particular opinion from being accepted because there's many different things people think of when they think socialism yeah when you say socialism i think soviet
1: unionism
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think you and aoc so exactly (laughs) my point um but i think some people think the same thing when they think libertarianism i think when you say the term i think most people think full-on no government or like no government regulation everyone fends for themselves kind of more like an anarchist interpretation but i think most people who actually support more doctrinated libertarianism have some sort of tempered um like understandings of you know shared common ground and it's more about kind of small government minimalist government than it is about kind of completely no government most Right. Of
1: the time very limited yeah
0: And then, uh, of course, like uh, Carson sent us a a quiz earlier, which we can talk about a little bit. And I think some of the reason that libertarianism online in particular is so prominent in the way people think is because if you look at just the positivist cases, so the, the areas where libertarianism seems the strongest, you can make a good case that like things might be better, like like with the drug war. Like I don't think a lot of people, even on the left, and this is why I think some of Bernie Sanders' ideas can become pretty libertarian in certain realms, would say that, you know, if you went back to the 70s and you decided all drugs were legal, that the outcome would be worse than what we got from heavy uh, criminalization. Uh, And so there are a lot of areas where, you know, legalization and less government red tape seem to be a good argument. The problem is when you focus on the negatives, the negatives can be really bad. I would just bring up one. You might have heard of uh, slavery. This is uh, one negative outcome that comes from just allowing the market to, to have its uh, fair say over everything. Um, and so there, there are many I mean, cases we can talk about. I think one of my favorite lines from the article, it said, basically, in the beginning, you know, they, they wanted it to be essentially no rules, but then they quickly realized they needed to lay down some, some basic rules. And so two of the things they outlined were uh, they decided no child porn or fake degrees. You know, I'm, uh as somebody with a degree, I'm not one to think that they should be giving out fake degrees, but I feel like these things might be on a different scale
1: in yeah. terms of detrimentalness to society. Yeah, What a strange uh, pairing to be like. We want to protect higher education as well as children.
0: Well, what can we definitely not have? People saying they're sociologists and child pornographers. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, well, I so I thought that the two life sentences for Ross Ulbricht was a little harsh, but I thought the two life sentences for the guy that faked a Harvard degree was really harsh.
0: <laughs> the worst thing is it wasn't even Harvard. It was like Salt Lake Community College. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, yeah, but that's uh, some of the interesting. So, I mean, I think that's one of the, if we want to talk more about kind of the libertarianism here, I think one of the, the ways it starts to break down as a philosophy. And I think there are, you know, and the drug corner is, is one area where I think you can take a lot of the benefits away from libertarianism and kind of adopt them in and trying to narrow down where, you know, government doesn't need to be as overarching. Um, and I can talk about where I think libertarianism hurts the government in ways that are not productive, but also can, be serve, you know, can serve as a good critique when there is bureaucratic bloat as well. Um, but I do think... I can't remember exactly what my point was, but I was going to say something about how this is only really possible. It's more of a technological innovation than anything. The internet allowed this to occur. Lots of, I don't know if we mentioned this, but the drugs were just sent through the mail, which is pretty amazing. Um, they would just literally show up in packages through the mail, which you wouldn't think would be possible. But this was, you know, a nearly a billion dollar business that was operating for multiple years by sending drugs through the mail and Bitcoin, which allows you to kind of, Clean and and white money in a way that you wouldn't have been able to before. Um, you know, decentralized finance, which has in the years since then become even more prominent um, as a way of financing everything from you know terrorism to uh, you know drug the drug trade and and everything in between. And, and so these types of things really do make it complicated for governments to keep up. Uh, they talk a lot about government enforcement in this case, where traditional methods of government enforcement of tracking and interrogating you literally can't do that when everything's you know password protected it's it's an entirely different and new um you know form of policing that makes it very difficult because you don't have the institutional expertise and the technologies that the you know the police are using are many times you know less op than the ones the the kind of traffickers and things are using because the government doesn't have you know thousands of people i mean they do but they there are even more of those people, you know, offline or outside the government who can use these new technologies um, and more and more so every day with new generations kind of growing up online. Did yeah.
1: you say less OP'd? Yeah. I'm very hip. <laughs> Such a I'm gamer. Hip.
0: Hey, we're doing <laughs> technology here. I'm going to stay up with the times.
1: Yeah. I just pretended to know what that meant, but. Um... <laughs> it means
0: overpowered, Eddie. I'll keep you up. <laughs> when you finally get back into your Gmail, I'll send you a, a note. Yeah. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> I, um. Uh, I thought this paragraph from the uh, the article kind of encapsulates what you're talking about, Morgan, where basically uh, this guy, Carl Force, the DEA agent, that's his real name, by the way. Sweet. <laughs> um, he kind of like off chance saw the direction that, um, you know, the uh, DA was going in cybersecurity and whatnot and got a computer science degree. And so... It's kind of on the cutting edge of this um, this field. And, you know, it was kind of uh, trained in hacking and got better at it and had a lot of patience, et cetera. And so basically, they uh, track down the IP address to this place in Iceland. And then they like work out with Icelandic authorities to like get access to this uh, hard drive. And Carson, let me know if I'm using any of the wrong terminology here. But, um, they go to this data center, and this is a quote from the article. What kind of data center has a foyer? The kind that also has gleaming glass front and a spotless floor and houses the world's first zero-emission supercomputer. Cyber, cybercrime forensics often means untangling wires from machines stuck in some basement. Thor looked like the future. Thor is the name of the data center, I believe. Uh, past the foyer's key card entry was a former airplane hangar which sat a double-high shipping container, bright blue, with silver ducts full of servers. And so this is where they have spent like weeks, like tracking and decoding and finding, uh, like all the, all the, you know, rabbit trails of the Silk Road, just like housed in this, uh, this one kind of, I don't know, uh, machine.
0: I, I think the interesting thing here, and Carson, you can you can jump in here anytime, but I think one of the interesting things about how they actually ended up, kind of cracking in, and you mentioned it earlier that they ended up finding these early kind of IP addresses. It was literally just mistakes. Like if he had done this before or had a more you know professional operation a, a lot of this could still be going because they have basically had no leads in multiple years until the coding kind of broke down because Ross had made some early mistakes and was not originally kind of an expert coder uh, which is pretty scary
2: yeah I oh, mean yeah. in his defense though like a data center like that that's so impressive like that is Ross at the peak of his powers yeah where like he has yeah, like multinational, like dispersed data centers. And like one thing I didn't emphasize in my summary was like just how big this thing got. Like, I think like Chuck Schumer was calling for it to be taken down, like tweeting from, or I think it was a tweet, like from the, um, yeah, like from the Senate floor or whatever. And then, um,
1: wait yeah, se- I think wait it was- Wait a second, wait, Chuck Schumer tweeted for it to be taken down and it wasn't taken down immediately. <laughs>
2: no i think that was like hey
1: let me let me just google it
0: he's messing with you
1: <laughs> no i'm just kidding sorry uh oh uh, i do oh. Question, <laughs> yes. that was um chris chris tarbell uh the fbi agent not uh carl force the da agent uh, he was the one who went to iceland to kind of and that's an interesting kind of wrinkle of this too it's like morgan everything you said about or maybe Carson, this where you you're saying about um the kind of like antiquated uh, like technology and practices and, and like red tape and stuff that all these agencies have to do. So it's not just one agency and then they converge with another agency and then have to deal with the interagency communication and then stuff can kind of, um, you know, fall apart.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, they're just like, th- this doesn't paint. I mean, it, it basically presents the officers themselves as competent, but just completely outmatched by the sheer size and... Kind of technological advance you know advancement of the internet in a way where law enforcement agencies both the fbi and the dea who are trying to take this down are just basically you know trying everything they can but just having no idea really how to break in even though it's operating right under their noses
2: sorry it looks like it wasn't a tweet it looks like somebody just asked him about it if it was a tweet it would have gotten taken down right away <laughs> <laughs> so that's why yeah. Yeah, That's exactly. the power of
1: Twitter. I, um, yeah, it's pretty fascinating to see things unravel in the sense of like you're saying, this internet like highly uh, streamlined in some way. It's weird because on, on one hand these people uh, on the internet are really good at covering their tracks and really good at kind of like plugging up holes, but then on the other hand they get really cocky and they get prideful and then they like kind of stop paying super close attention sometimes mm-hmm. and then that then allows the fbi and the dea and agencies like that to catch up yeah and so I'm... one of those like you know with um ross the dread pirate roberts guy like kind of ignoring some security warnings that some people were learning him to, and like not taking things seriously and kind of just kind of coming to that classic like you know um Carson was saying the igarous metaphor earlier that classic you know, feeling of invincibility that, mm-hmm. that you think that you're, you're never going to be taken down because of how much success that you've had. And then you look to that success and you're like, oh, well, that's only going to lead to more success. And it's like, well, the more this thing grows, the harder it is to maintain, especially yeah. as one individual.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's tough for, I mean, the anonymity of it makes it inherently difficult to bring people in as one of the people he talked to or to trust anybody was, of course, and for good reason, right? A lot of the people trying to talk to him were right. informants and things. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about the technological advancements of this, and they're not really advancements; they're more like adoptions of illicit activities to the illicit world, which is not something that's you know rare. Uh, if there's a technological innovation in you know finance, sure, other legal finance institutions will copy it but so will illicit financial institutions and so i think one of the reasons other than the timing and the ability to send things through the mail and use the kind of online web that this was so successful is because of basically two very what i would say now are pretty widely available and basic tech i would still call them technological advancements which are kind of the use of rating systems just like you would see on amazon i think the best way to picture this is essentially exactly like amazon there are certain sellers that get Rated when they come through, and that will make it, uh, you know, more likely that you can stave off uh, corruption through kind of bribery and blackmail and those sorts of things. If you have a, a raider who's never sold anything before, you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna pay a ton of money for something if they've never successfully, um, you know, sent a package through the site. And also the Silk Road escrow, which is essentially the ability for Ross and kind of his associates to hold money in between, so that. You aren't just, you know, it's in the classic Mexican standoff where whoever hands over the case, then the other person shoots them and runs away. You have some intermediary where both things arrive. Uh, They can check both things and then send them off to the the right location. Um, And both of those things really allowed this to go beyond any kind of independent uh, offline organization that could be much more easily tracked uh, and marked down.
2: Oh, I didn't catch that. He actually set up, set the payments up like that, where there was like an intermediary. Yeah, uh-huh. there was,
0: they have an escrow system. I think it was all, like, digital, but basically, like, the person would have to confirm that they got the package before the money would go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so, and, mm-hmm. um, like, it is super impressive that he pulled this off as, like, a one-man. I mean, he had a little help, but very little. Like, it seems like he pulled all this off as a one-man team, which is, like, pretty remarkable. And, like, sure, he made some mistakes early on, but just to manage all those servers, like, by yourself is pretty incredible,
0: I mean, I think that's why he's valorized in a lot of places, and we haven't really talked about this. But a lot of people, well, some people will claim that he was framed. A lot of other people will say that, you know, his sentencing was totally disproportionate. He never actually had anyone killed. He's just an ideologue, and he, you know, some people claim he's a hero. I think we we were going to talk about this later, but at the end of his presidency, Trump considered uh, commuting his sentence before leaving office. Uh, we can Whoa. talk about some of the. Like kind of, you know, why he would do that and what are the ideological reasons there. Um, but I wanted to talk about one other thing that I think is interesting. And this is, I don't even know if we're, um, anyway, this was from an observation by Louis C.K., who you may have heard of for negative reasons. Um, but basically, he used to have a bit where he would talk about how much, you know, more it hurts or how much easier it is to be a dick. Through like online texting, than it would be like someone's face, and he was talking about like he's like, oh man, you're a jerk, and the person like starts to cry, and then you feel bad. But if you say like you're a jerk, and then over a text, like you never see that, and everything seems fine. And I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on just morality online, because all of this is conducted through this digital space, where I think it's much easier. I mean, a lot of the stuff about the Rwandan genocide and pretty much any genocide in history, one of the main things people point out is like dehumanization, you know, you call them cockroaches, you call them, um, you know, insects, you call them specific things that aren't human. And in this case, I think there's just an inherent sense of inhumanness that comes with speaking and conducting business online. Um, And I am wondering if you think that he would have carried out the same types of, you know, hit quote unquote hits, if he had had to in person, you know, order the hit or see the person or had ever even just met the people that he ordered, to be hit? Is it easier to abstract away these kind of negative illicit activities when you're not thinking about them as people? I mean, this could be, you know, a capitalistic thing as well, if you're thinking of them as customers rather than people. uh, But that even becomes, in my opinion, much easier to do when it's through a system that, you know, is binary or has people pop up as usernames and not necessarily real people whose emotions you can see and whose families you know about.
2: Well, I think equally important, if not more important, is the fact that it was anonymous. Like, if it was online and you still had your identity tied to what you were saying, that changes things a lot. Like when people can't, when you can't be your personal identity can't be linked to what you said or wrote. That's, that's like, I think we're seeing, um, just how bad things get when anonymity and the online world interact, like with Facebook and all that. So, this-
0: um,
2: because, I think it's a huge part of this.
0: Do you think so? If, okay, so let's say if, if it is the anonymous thing, then you're in a sense saying that everyone's like this, but they don't have the veneer of anonymity right. with which to get away with something. Whereas if it's just that they're, essentially what I'm saying is if the anonymity was the same in person and online, would there still be an additional like ease of, I don't know, would there still be moral, you know, licensing issues online that we wouldn't exist in person if you had to face somebody.
2: It's hard to think of, like, you'd have to be like, it'd be like you being in costume in person, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, so that yeah. shit
2: happens on, on Halloween, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs>
2: it's hard to like get in that headspace. But I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. If you were like, you know, had a paper bag on your head and like a astronaut suit, like, and nobody could tell who you are, I mean that's like yeah that's a super like more depressing take home message than I was trying to to say yes, but like can. but yeah like I don't think I do think anonymity is a big part of it but um but you think if it was in person and you had to say the words out loud that that is what matters rather I than... would think
0: both things are independently effective yeah I do think anonymity plays a role but I also think there's something about online that takes away kind of the emotional barriers that you otherwise would have to break to do some of these things like i think the in the particular case of you know the kid sister so somebody od'd on the drugs who was underage who had accessed the site somehow got the drugs and the kid sister kind of complained and said like uh, and and ross basically blew them off and i think i just think it would be much harder to blow them off if you saw the you know the woman crying and she was complaining to you even if you had anonymity like this above and beyond i think there's multiple layers that just allow for business to be conducted online that makes it easier to kind of break moral cues or to stretch your own understanding of what morality is
1: i heard a simon sinek uh, quote the other day and it was scale creates distance and so it's just the idea is like i think it's what you're talking about, about online anonymity, but it's also scale in the sense of if if that stuff had been happening really early on and he could kind of see the, the damage and then maybe extrapolate the implications of this increasing by orders of magnitude, then that might have been jarring enough for him, like the human cost of it, to not try to increase the empire. But it seems like people were fairly not trustworthy in a sense, but like we're fairly on board with using it legitimately early on. And then as it grew, it got more and more un- unwieldy and more and more scams and blackmailers and people overdosing and et cetera. And so I think the scale combined with um not being able to see the the physical physical emotional kind of ramifications of your decisions. Yeah, totally. I mean it's the same way that I think that um it's important for uh, politicians to be in touch with the communities or the people they're representing or else they become abstractions and, you know, they don't face the consequences of their decisions because they're never um, put in front of the human cost of those decisions, you know.
0: For the record, I have been pitching this episode for a while, viewers. So if you want to hear it, we can do a short one. And Carson, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but basically, I don't know if if, if either of you know this, but essentially, the U.S. Congress, and then the House of Representatives, used to be linked directly to population, and they, it, suddenly, it finally got so big, and at the time the technology didn't really exist to kind of adequately get people to and from Congress. and so they capped the number of people in the House representing the population. Obviously, the population kept growing. And so the number of people per representative has just gotten completely out of hand, and now it's basically impossible to know everybody in your district. Um, And that's not the case in a lot of countries, even in the UK, a lot of the the canvassing is still done door to door, because the districts are still pegged to a specific population. Um, And I one of my um, kind of uh, big cells or one of my political gambits would be to reintroduce the expansion of the House. Um, And I know a lot of people here, you know, more politicians, and they don't think that's a good thing. But I actually think if, if you had hyper localized issues that you could focus on to win elections, it would reduce polarization in the way that you can't now if there's a, you know, a local issue in your small town, it's never gonna, you know, flip an election the way it used to, because overall, there's more people concerned about what's happening between Republicans and Democrats. But if you actually were just representing that town, someone who is not necessarily an ideologue could come in and say, Look, I'm going to back this thing. I have more nuanced views. This isn't necessarily about you know national issues. This is a local issue thing. You need a local representative. So, a bit of a tangent there, but I do think it's something that is often overlooked in the ter- things that have changed in the U.S. that have made it, in my opinion, you know, much less likely to be um, unpolarized.
2: It would suck. To- yeah, I mean, you're talking about Congress just like ballooning to like. Thousands of members, aren't you? And that in that case, like I know you, yeah, like you said, that's the only downside I can see is like just how many, how much more bloat that adds to a system that people are already concerned about. If I could channel my my Ross Ulbricht,
1: uh,
2: yeah, yeah, well, yeah think, more um, red tape.
1: I think we, I think let's revisit this on a future episode. But I will say that um, in when I was living in Wales, there my students were like telling me about um emailing their member of parliament their mp and their member of parliament they would like email them back and i was like what <laughs> that's <laughs> so cool i was blown away by that and then you know we had mps like show up to you know like book launches and stuff and i'm like what these people are in touch with the, those they represent but it was yeah small enough that it was able to do that but so yeah uh, anyhow,
0: I'll bring us back really quickly because I do think this ties into one thing I mentioned I wanted to talk about earlier. But this is libertarianism libertarianism as a critique of kind of bureaucratic, expansive government and the ways it can be kind of helpful to rein it in and the ways it can be unhelpful to make it even more unwieldy. And one of the main ways that I think libertarianism kind of fails in its function as a ideological foil to kind of centrist politics in the U.S. is by – just criticizing everything the government does as negative, um, which I think is the easier thing to do, right? It's like as a you know graduate student, it's much easier to just critique papers than ever to have to write your own or like come up with your own policy. Um, it's incredibly, you know, easy to not have to defend anything when you can just attack, attack, attack at the weakest point. But I think where this is an issue is when the government really, if the government is is promoting investments or is trying to expand certain areas. So let's say right now with, with um, kind of environmental um, politics, where we obviously need investment in um, like solar power and a lot of these alternative power sources that are more sustainable. There was the Solyndra um, kind of famous debacle under Obama, where they invested money in a I think it was a solar power company and it failed and it cost a lot of money. Um, and, you know, this has been pointed to since then, literally, I think this was like 2009 as like a failure of, of government. And it really, sh- I mean, it, it was a failure, but it was a failure in the right way. The government was, you know, trying to push, um, you know, us towards sustainable goals and trying to build jobs in an area that would help everyone. That is what the government should be doing. The government shouldn't be afraid to fail on every occasion. The government should be afraid of, you know, being big without being flexible and without being effective and if it is looking at an area and has lots of experts and people who realize that they're you know we need to make a shift in terms of policy and they fail every once in a while that's okay as long as they succeed every once in a while as well and that is what the government becomes is so sclerotic Because it's afraid of critique, and it's afraid that the negative consequences will always be, you know, bear the brunt over the positive consequences, really what, you know, in my opinion, because maybe I'm not a libertarian, so maybe that's my bias, but I think if if you really wanted libertarianism to be productive, you would be criticizing the things that the government, you know, really doesn't do well, not one-off, you know, negative examples that are kind of swings and misses, you should be criticizing the ways that bloat is expanding in areas where it's never going to be productive, where it doesn't make sense. And it's literally just inertia expanding red tape, um, you know, as far as the eye can go. And maybe this leads into that quiz. I don't know if we want to have Eddie take that or if you guys have any thoughts on that. Yes. Uh, Wait, really quick,
2: really quick. So I think to take the like libertarian side of that, I would say so I listened to this daily episode where this guy from I don't uh, know some our, I would say our rival. It's very similar. Yeah, to the show. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are like just above them on the charts, right? Exactly. So they're, yeah, they're fighting for you uh, to get above you. Um, where it was some Midwest town, and they talked to the I think it was like the mayor or something, and he he just straight like straightforwardly looked at the it was like, a, it was a, a dying oil town. And he just like kind of looked at what it would mean for the city to bring in a bunch of, um, wind turbines, turbines. And he kind of just like did the no, math. Let's not
0: get political here. We don't need wind turbines. Okay. Uh... <laughs> what are the,
2: there's like a, a better name for it than windmills though. I, I think it's like no, wind, think turbine. wind turbines. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and he like just kind of looked looked at it straightforwardly and was like, "I like that it'll bring so many jobs. Um, it's good for this for our city, even though, um, even though like a lot of our citizens don't like it because you know they had a they had a pretty conservative base. It was all these ex coal miners or ex oil um, miners or whatever people who worked in um, less clean energy or whatever. And I think and I mean, you could say, like, I guess what I'm going for is I think rather than creating your own government agency, your own federal government agency, you let private companies come in. Because that's what happened is a private company came in and pitched him on a bunch of wind turbines. And he said, yes. And I think you could say rather than um, rather than creating a, a federal agency, why not be more surgical and just subsidize clean energy. So kind of take a more of a privatized route.
0: That's, and I mean, use that's your money what diving. Solandra was. It was private it was oh it was private, oh. <laughs> yeah government funding for okay. like a private enterprise. Yeah. Never mind, I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I think you're right. And it can be negative, but if you're afraid if you're so afraid of failure because the incentives are big failures are going to stand out disproportionately to successes, that is a recipe for bloated, unproductive government. And so you, if you're going to have government, you need government that's able to take risks in a strategic way, and that is not what we're good at. And I think subsidies for clean energy and these sorts of things, just like you're talking about, is exactly the area like, where it's pretty obvious that the benefits are not being captured in the current economic calculus, so you do need subsidies. But you, know, you can't be afraid of a particular subsidy you know, not bringing back its worth if you know in the end that this is going to create jobs and be better for the people you know, over the next 10 years. And this is, I mean, it gets into a lot of different things. One of the big problems here is kind of short-termism that is a problem with you know, uh, elections and democracy as a whole. And I think it's become more of a problem as these larger issues can obviously not be solved in a specific administration. The, I don't wanna get us too off, far off the track, but I think you're, you know, there's something there that I think the critiques of liber- uh, you know, libertarianism in that way, when they can be productive, and focused on areas where the government genuinely doesn't need to be as big or focused on particular, a lot of it is opportunity cost, right? Like, should the government really be focused on this thing that has a very minor impact when there are many major things that we could be focused on um, that are you know, much more um, you know, productive in the long run? I think that's one of the areas where it can actually serve as a good ideological foil and it doesn't always do that. And that's because it's not a, you know, a cohesive movement just like the far left is as well.
1: I think we have a couple of interesting test cases right now as far as um maybe libertarian critiques of government and the government's embracing those and integrating them so in el salvador with them making their national currency the bitcoin and then in portugal where to my understanding like all drugs are legal um it'll be interesting to see how that develops over like the next I don't know. I think they're decriminalized
0: rather than legal,
1: right? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, just in the sense of, um, I think those are two, not that all libertarians are pro Bitcoin, but the idea of having something like a digital currency that's not dependent on how much money we're printing, or not dependent on the Fed, or not dependent on big banks, um, and is more decentralized and democratized is like an interesting thing to see how that can do with i mean obviously el salvador is a tiny country with a tiny gdp so they can experiment in a way that we can't but um i think as far as uh integrating some of those libertarian approaches to maybe try to mediate some of the influence of the big uh, government bloat or just big you know that that kind of lobbyists and big companies being in bed with uh legislators i think will be interesting to see how it develops um and also maybe legitimizes some of these critiques in a way that dread pirate roberts you know running his own illicit empire and just kind of saying shit on forums (laughs) doesn't really have the same uh weight I think you um, said a couple
0: of interesting things there.
1: I think the. Oh, thank you.
0: I think the equation of like, libertarianism as being more democratic is something that I think libertarians would say is true and crit- criticisms of libertarianism would say is false. And so I think uh, it's interesting, like, viewpoint to think that it's more democratic. Because I think a lot of people would say it, it literally is like the. Some people would say it's the opposite of democratic, right? We're not making collective decisions at all. Everyone does, you know, their own thing away from any centralized, you know, mass product. If you want to do something incredibly unpopular, you should be allowed to do it, you know. Whereas in a democratic system, the masses can kind of override even small groups who have unpopular opinions, and um, and I think that is an interesting kind of focal point of critique that I would focus on. And the second thing, just kind of more from a, you know, rote, uh, you know, experimental standpoint. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll gain too much knowledge of what's happening with Bitcoin and how effective it can be in El Salvador um, or ha- how, how effective and you know, helpful it can be outside of El Salvador because um, it, it's not because it's small, but because in any place where you suddenly legalize something, if you are acting as kind of a, a drain or a funnel for things that want to exist, there's no way of uh, saying whether or not that will generalize. Like in Somalia, economic GDP is actually way higher than you would think because people want a space to do like crazy anarchist stuff, like terrorism and things, um, where that wouldn't obviously not work great if you expanded it to other countries. But because there is that demand, having one place where you can do that is actually, you know, not necessarily great, but it's definitely, you know, more productive in terms of economic growth than you would think.
2: So uh, my fiance is Salvadoran, and she's like pretty pretty knowledgeable about like Bukele and their politics Mm -hmm. and everything. And we were talking about Bitcoin and I was like, isn't this great? Like Bukele is bringing Bitcoin to El Salvador, like to the first nation. And she was like, um, and she's, she's been like favorable towards Bukele in the past. And like, and so if anything, her bias runs that way. And she was like, do you know how many like small businesses that now are required to take Bitcoin are going to have no idea how to do that? And, like, sure enough, like, we were listening to this podcast by the uh, the Wall Street Journal, and, like, the next sentence was, like, small businesses are worried that they haven't gotten any information yeah. from, the, from Bukele and his government, and I was, like, oh, dang, that's, that's
0: well, that's, that's the problem with starting it in a small country as well, like, even India, which is obviously a much bigger country than El Salvador, went like, overnight, like, uh, I think maybe two years ago now, the, they just decided that they weren't going to take bills that were over, like, you know, $50 and there's like billions of dollars in these notes around the country and it just caused like mass panic. And like people had to wait in the lines for like weeks because they couldn't use these bills and they had to exchange them. And so, yeah, I think it's a good point because we often do, I mean, I wasn't even talking about the kind of operational logistical aspects, but those are definitely not negligible. Even when we think of Bitcoin as being this very digital thing that can be transported anywhere, there are like very real tangible barriers to growth.
2: Yeah, um, th- yeah, her other her other point was like it's going to bring criminals there, um, because Bitcoin's like not it's anonymous. It's not yeah. really yeah. It's it's easier for criminals to to get away with yeah. um, with using Bitcoin.
0: It will be curious to see. I just don't think it's it like whether or not it succeeds in El Salvador, to me will tell me very little about whether or not it could succeed as like a alternative currency. You know what I mean? Like for the world, I think it will be a better test case for whether or not. It can operate at that scale, not necessarily whether it can operate as like a, a full-on currency. But we can have a whole, we whole different podcast about that. And like that. Yeah, that would be, be a cool. good, We could bring Carissa on. Yeah, that would be a good yeah podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can That's bring Bukale really on. Sorry, we'll reach even higher. We'll have Carissa <laughs> and Bukale on.
1: It's really interesting, like the question of how to reform a government or any institution institutions don't embrace reform that's kind of you know like it, it, it's kind of counter to uh the dna of a lot of institutions is wanting to remain strong and usually remaining strong means taking the status quo and so people who threaten that status quo are certainly this is obviously a, a massive overgeneralization but people who threaten that status quo are seen as threats rather than as like maybe uh proprietors of future progress or change a lot of times and so it's just interesting to see like jed Perry roberts this guy who maybe was ID log but he probably was just ambitious and money hungry and had an insane ego and wanted to do something big and then saw this as an opportunity and kind of like coded that in some libertarian ideas but that really it wasn't like he was a freedom fighter you know
0: well the irony there is that he ended up you know being taken down by the same institutional inertia and inability to back out that the government faces that libertarians are criticizing right (laughs) like it's the inability to pull back out and to stop things once they're in motion uh that kind of brought him down
1: totally and then um i guess just saying like the Zapatista movement in the early '90s, um, and how like NAFTA and the implementation of NAFTA just ruined all of these kind of small farming communities in Chiapas in southern Mexico, and how uh, this kind of like neoliberalism, like globalism, worked for some, but also just entirely uh, ruined the economies of some of like the indigenous rural farmers, and so the Zapatistas you know, arming themselves and taking over towns in Chiapas and essentially uh, getting violent in order to get uh, give like a voice for people who are being overlooked by the major kind of uh, international community, I guess, and how there was like a career and philosophy behind that. And then kind of decades later, they're now being like legitimized and recognized in a way that they certainly weren't in the early nineties, as Bill Clinton was rolling all this out. they were seen as a threat or as terrorists and it's interesting to see this kind of be or I mean the origin of you know the u s take us back to seventeen seventy six and how you know they were seen as freedom fighters, but if they lose that war, they become terrorists and insurrectionists and it's just really interesting like when does A government overstep and become I don't know uh, become something that is intolerable is just seems to be a question of consensus and history and I don't know it's an interesting thought
0: well I think it's a great case for libertarianism being more than just a right-wing critique because I think libertarians who you know are in stronger support of individual freedoms would say that the Zapatistas though you know, decidedly left wing and more socialist, uh, you know, should be allowed to be left wing and socialist as long as they're doing it on their own and keeping to themselves, which they pretty much are. And so I think that's, uh, you know, the the left wing version of libertarianism that we haven't really talked about today because the right wing, at least online in the U.S., is so much more dominant, um, at least in these types of stories. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Also, I want to say before we, we I don't think we actually mentioned the Dread Pirate Roger, Roberts was his username, which is a terrific username. Just want to comment on how excellent it is, which uh, it, it give, gave him like basically it was his defense for his, <laughs> yeah. his, his like, entire court case was like Dread Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride was like multiple people who undertook that name and his defense was basically like it wasn't me. <laughs> It was like, hey, if I was just one guy, would my yeah, name have been... Yeah, Trent? why would I have named myself that? <laughs> have you seen Princess Bride? He basically just like made the jury watch Princess Bride and was like, absolved. <laughs> Which is an amazing defense. And probably why he got 40 <laughs> years plus two life sentences. But uh, yeah, pretty great username. Better than Frosty, I will say.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think that there's so many like themes in cautionary tales in this story. Like, um, I think we've brought up how Carl Force-
0: Oh yeah, we should talk about that now before we end. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, well, Carson, did you want to read that, that paragraph that you- Oh, oh yeah, sure.
2: Yeah so, yeah, so Carl Force is the DEA agent, like yeah, we mentioned this earlier, but the DEA agent who went undercover as his tactic to try to like infiltrate from the inside and you know, like not a lot of people probably know oh, I guess they, they they did cover it in like the movie. There's like a documentary and a movie about the, the Silk Road. Um, and I think they cover it there, but but this um, otherwise you probably might not know about it unless you like read this article because it is pretty pretty much a like a small side story, but um because yeah, he didn't end up like catching him. It was the FBI who caught him. But um yeah, so um it starts, I'll just read it straight from the article. So this is about Force, having lost his big career case, he acknowledged that the FBI won fair and square and he left the DEA, Uh, skipping forward a little bit. um, I'm no different than him. So he's comparing himself to Ross, Force said, it easily could have went the other way. No one is either perfectly good or perfectly evil. People occupy a space right on each side of the line. And sometimes without knowing it, you switch sides. Force's words rang truer than anyone knew. In an incredible twist, Along with Secret Service agent, with a Secret Service agent on his team, was also indicted and arrested this past March for running an elaborate series of rackets and thefts on the Silk Road. The 95-page indictment alleged that they sold, uh, stole bitcoins from the Silk Road and other exchanges. um, The digital equivalent of keeping a suitcase full of cash after a dockside heroin bust, pocketed $50,000 from DPR. Roberts for Intel services from Kevin, laundered at least half a million of that, some of which made it to Panama and served a false subpoena on a digital currency exchange when they questioned his transactions and froze, froze his account. It was in fact, when all this came to the attention of the Department of Justice that Forrest left the DEA. Um, and then Eddie's favorite part. In retrospect, Tarbell said, when you heard about the investigation of Force, it's as if you found out at the, be- at the end of Breaking Bad that Hank was dirty the whole time. So, yeah, Force, like, uh, and earlier I mentioned the anecdote of Force arresting Chronic Pain. Um, and so Force, um, oh, yeah, arrested Chronic Pain and then offered to, uh, for, I don't remember if it was for, for roughing him up or for murdering him but he like kept the money that that dpr paid him to do that like he yeah he just straight up like took that along with you know smuggling all the stuff i just mentioned but yeah it's just crazy he's, he's a dirty cop and i think that's what lends a lot of the conspiracy to this case it's like well you had dirty cops involved who knows what happened
0: yeah and so a lot of people i think do genuinely believe that he was framed so we shouldn't uh gloss over that if not just for the fact that there's a lot of people that believe it even though it's very pretty obvious from that yeah what,
2: what do you think what are the chances <laughs>
0: very little <laughs> yeah <it is. laughs> but, uh, if he did i feel like I, at a certain point it's like wow if you frame somebody that well like <laughs> like you know fair enough our our if we had if basically the systems of of uh what is it uh, generalizable doubt or if um what's the the phrase i'm thinking of reasonable uh, doubt Yeah, reasonable doubt. if if the, The barrier for reasonable doubt was low enough where his case would qualify. Essentially, no one would ever be convicted of anything.
2: It would be really (laughs) hard to read this article, like word by word for word, and come away with, "Oh, he's innocent." Like it, it does a really good job of, like just the just the evidence. Like, um,
0: and he admitted to being the creator of it. His defense was, "I created it. Somebody else got me out of it, and then brought me back in." Which, you know, so he's he's already even admitted that he, you know, was at least the creator.
2: We also talked about just what a painstaking effort the FBI made yeah. to catch him in the act yeah. they like numerous times um like they, they were so meticulous about how they had to catch him because if they caught him and he was even able to shut his laptop before yeah. before they nabbed him mm-hmm. that they would, could lose enough evidence to to um allow him to go free so they yeah, yeah they did they had to like they had like a um an actor like in the library yeah. who walked past him and like grabbed his arms and pulled him from like back from the computer so he couldn't so he couldn't get and like they found him he was logged in as the admin as DPR yeah. so it, pretty... there's like, that way. yeah 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 it's crazy.
0: if you yeah they, if you want to read more about the sting there's it's quite detailed in the article and it's actually I mean it's not as fun ideologically like what we're talking about but as a just quality
1: read it's pretty pretty amazing yeah, this podcast is fun, but the article's boring. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, I don't know, libertarian critiques are interesting to think about, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't think the government should be regulating or keeping its eye on things like fentanyl, and that's like better in the hands of just, you know, teenagers making their personal choices, yeah. that's a pretty flawed like worldview then why do Um, they call
0: it Fenton all and not just Fenton few Eddie (laughs) come on on
1: the
2: the flip side though it's so easy to make a caricature of the libertarian arguments like I know we were talking before about to say like oh libertarianism doesn't work look what happened with Ross Ulbricht like I think even the more practical libertarians like they, they have, they distance, like I sent you guys an article from the Atlantic yeah. where they talk about just like how the Mises Institute, which he, um, he had, he was like a member and he followed them and, and referenced them. They have like started to di- distance themselves. They're like, no, I mean, even, even before I, like no practical libertarian, I think would sign off on the way Ross went about the Silk Road. Mm. And I think something like the Silk Road does exist in a libertarian utopia, but I think a reasonable person would say that you have to go about it differently. You have to work through the current system. You can't just up and create an anonymous, illegal, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, an anonymous website where people can sell, sell drugs. Um, yeah. yeah with yeah without
1: um, without any oversight yeah, I mean, I think there has to be a coherent philosophy underpinning all of this. like I think what's terrifying about the January sixth insurrection is that you have you know somebody co-opting the legitimacy of the White House and then inviting people to Uh, take over a legitimate democratic process without any sort of, like, dialogue or or veracity to the claims. And that's when there's so many intersecting, convoluted, untrue realities that people die over something that wasn't even, like, had no logical or rational philosophical underpinnings at all based on anything we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What did
2: you guys score on the Libertarian quiz?
0: I will say this is about as biased a quiz as the one you <laughs> fill out for Donald Trump where it was like, you know, you want to support those horseshit liberals and other, like, <laughs> like, I didn't. I didn't see necessarily any. Uh, and you put no questions know. in the in the opposite category. Like it wasn't like, would you support giving a baby crack? It was like your mother's <laughs> dying and she needs a drug. This, yeah. So I. I mean, there was some interesting. Thought questions in there, but I I, I scored eighty percent and said I passed, which is also oh maybe, wow you're even higher. Maybe you're tipping happening. their hand a little bit <laughs> when it says you passed. I think maybe they're tipping their <laughs> hand as to what <laughs> <laughs> what side they're going for. But uh, it was interesting.
2: What did you get? Did you take it yet?
1: uh i didn't take it not because i wasn't prepared and didn't put in the time to prepare for you, should the it. you should take it you take it right now not, it's pretty short no, <laughs> no it wasn't because of that it's ideologically i just felt like it was too biased in the questioning <laughs> and the results based on my conversation with other people it wasn't it.
0: because you had a hard time so, reading the other article in time that wasn't it right no okay. no it was not sure. because
1: of that i just um <laughs> Yeah, it just didn't sit well with me to participate in such a, like, biased survey that was trying to, you know, um, influence my political thinking. Because so mm. you're an
0: about AOC
1: supporter. I do like AOC. I know. Um, I don't really like it. That's AOC. the only reason. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> if I was that sexist. Oh yeah, the cute, the cute girl in um <laughs> in Congress. Yeah, yeah. No, I love her. What is she? Is she Republican or Democrat? <laughs> yeah, wasn't paying attention to what she said, but very cute for sure. <laughs>
0: uh, well, should classic. we wrap this thing up? Does anyone have any uh any other thoughts, or did we solve it? as always.
1: What, what, what were we supposed to solve?
0: <laughs> Wait, I wasn't even a, solve, a thing to solve. Oh, he's guilty as hell. That's what I have to say <laughs> oh, about this. Oh,
1: Carson, you passed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you, I mean, you got to take yeah,
0: the quiz yeah. and see see
2: what you come up with.
0: Yeah, you have to at least read one. Go on to the quiz and then read one for the Okay,
2: for let listeners me, so let,
1: they me can hear. let me. And log it, it, on.
0: actually I clicked on it twice and it gave me a different opening question each time,
1: so oh, I oh, it's,
2: read. it's a yeah. it's a very well-run survey. It it mixes up the questions so yeah. that it it randomizes that variable.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I definitely I definitely think I should trust a free the uh, yeah. survey. It seems. <laughs> okay so you're not a democrat or a republican good news you don't have to be either take this quiz to see if you might be a libertarian (laughs) oh my god (laughs) you decide to make a few extra bucks by driving for uber in your spare time it's easy and the pay isn't bad but because uber doesn't provide health insurance and pension the local government wants to shut them down is this the right thing to do what do you think I, eddie? I can't even what is is what the right thing to do shut them down shut them down i think that's a good one that's like yeah i, I think this. i want to
0: hear eddie's answer yeah
1: is this the right thing to do to shut uber down yes
0: now that person doesn't have a job
1: eddie
0: i, I think know. i put no at
1: that one a group of african immigrants okay <laughs> <laughs> okay speak little English but they oh, have one funny. skill that gives them an advantage over locals, a technique of African hair. This is actually oh a true story. That's actually God. a true story from Salt
0: oh, really? Lake City. Yeah, I've listened to a podcast about it.
1: However, requires them to undergo mm-hmm. expensive licensing requirements. That's, this is absolutely true. Too. That's straight facts from right Utah. There, there was so. an
0: indicator episode about it.
1: And language skills. But
0: right? it happened in Utah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: Get I put no blood. on that one. Uh, libertarian. <laughs> libertarian all the images
1: of this are so goofy it's like the silliest stuff. Nope, too late eddie
0: you're a libertarian now you have to support giving babies crack oh my God. <laughs> it's over
1: um yeah all these questions are so long here's an here's an image that says forbidden Unless someone printed this out for you, which would be weird. Are you taking this quiz on the internet? <laughs> you are taking this quiz on the internet. Should the federal government have the ability to censor block or shut down portions of the internet? Yes.
2: <laughs>
0: I said yes to that one too. <laughs> I,
1: I think I like said weird. no
2: because it reminded me too much of like net neutrality
0: stuff. No, they're so definitely like, making it seem like you're going to like they're going to block Google. But I think that like should they be blocking like child porn sites? Like, yeah. And I think if you take it at face value, then that's kind of that's yeah. you. Do it, yes. Why don't you just hang hey, out? Right? Hey, but if, hey, they're, giving out, if they're giving out fake uh, diplomas, then I'm, I'm definitely not in support. Hey here's, a, <laughs>
1: hey, here's a, hey, here's a good one. Your mother is suffering from a terminal disease. A drug exists that might treat or even cure her, but has not yet been approved for sale in the United States, although it is being successfully used in Europe. Should the Federal Drug Administration be able to stop your mother from taking, taking medicine that might save her life? As long as she understands the risks. H. Like, what kind of question is that? H-O-M-M. Sorry.
0: Ay, ay, ay. Hands yes. off my mother. That's what I was yes. <laughs> What did you score, Morgan, again? What was your percentage? It was 80%, but I... Damn,
2: yeah, I only scored yeah, 70%, so. so... I mean, to be
0: fair, they weren't asking, like like i said they were definitely like asking like things that yeah, I, support vegetarianism.
1: so oh my god i have to read this one aloud. okay Too but still don't like, you think it's
2: like relatively that that should mean you're a little more i mean i know it's i like, mean
0: there are many things that i agree with on the side like things that i think would be better with less regulation for sure
2: but there are also many no i mean like, I don't like don't much you much. think relative to my score that should mean something even if the questions are
0: it sounds like I probably just did one question differently. I don't know which <laughs> yeah, okay. one it
1: was, but it was like. Hey, I God, think we I can know. extrapolate, though, from those results. Probably. <laughs> you want to extrapolate from a survey that has this question, Carson?
2: I thought it was good. I thought, to, I thought it was, it was what
1: I was far, looking for. Two faraway countries I'm Bordia and Don't Carastam. <laughs> Are engaged in a military conflict... Eddie, just likely, because you're not
0: good at geography doesn't mean you should belittle the question.
1: <laughs> likely to claim many lives, although there is no direct threat to America. In general, should the United States put our soldiers' boots on the ground to intervene in such conflicts?
2: I mean, that, I think that's an interesting question, right? I mean,
1: it's like...
0: It's
2: kind it, of Afghanistan-y,
0: though. I mean, it's put, it's put in a poor way. Like The question itself is not doing it any favors, but the question of whether or not we should... It's basically an intervention question. Should we intervene in foreign conflicts?
2: What
1: did you put on that one, Morgan? Well, I'll right, right. let Eddie let let do it first. You know, the is giving a do you think it's fair for you to be forced to pay the salaries of bankers who fail to do their jobs? Oh, what, okay, uh, what
2: did you put?
1: I actually don't think that's fair, so I put it.
0: But that was a different one, right? Yeah, yeah, what did you put on the soldier one, Morgan? I said no, I'm mostly in favor of non-interventionism. But really, I put yes. Maybe that's the one we got. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a fascinating conversation because we can talk about it a different time. We've gone way over, but I think the there's time thing, for
2: Afghanistan right now. I think, well, it's not even <laughs> just Afghanistan. Kidding, just I think kidding, the, just
0: the thing is like Rwanda is the case that I know the you know the 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 best, and people always use it as like a dramatic failure. But then if you look at people talking about other things, then they're like, oh, we should never have intervened. And it's like, okay, like at what threshold does it become a crisis one way versus a crisis the other way? And like obviously. If you could go back in time you intervene in the genocide and you know try to help out but there are a lot of other cases where people are like oh you should never intervene and like where the line is is not nearly as simple uh basically what i'm saying is international affairs is not as simple as a particular yeah. interventionist or or sure, ideology sure. which probably isn't that uh, novel but
2: uh yeah this uh, uh this beckons for a whole other podcast
1: yeah um let's see enter your email address to see quiz results okay um I think it's I'm just how many Morgan, did you put, I'm, correct? I'm pretty sure I'm going to put Morgan's in here.
2: Oh, yeah, I thought I was like, oh, they're going to send my results to my email. And no, yeah, it's they, like, they now just, we're just going to yeah. send you junk mail
1: because <laughs> you can have your results yeah. right on the website. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I'll just mark it spam right after. I was going to put your, your- You can put a fake one, account.
2: I think. You, can, you still just yeah, I don't get think your it, results I don't right on the- has quite Oh, good. sweet.
1: Okay, yeah. I don't, I'll don't. i put um, I'm Bordia then. Dude,
0: we said a fake one. not you're really <laughs> Now everyone knows your email.
1: Our audience is like, you're boredia. Yeah? More like, <laughs> I'm boredia. Listening to all this, nobody's listening. Yeah, anymore. I was gonna
0: say. Let's be fair. We're 80 minutes in. Not a single person is listening at this point.
2: But, but but link to the quiz though, because it'd be fun for people
0: yeah. to take.
1: Oh no, guys, I failed.
0: Oh no, <laughs> really?
1: What did you get? 60 percent. Dang. Yeah. Wait, you, so I so you have to be eighty percent libertarian to pass? No, like no. Was I passed with seventy.
0: 70. Yeah, so you barely 70. failed, but you failed. so
1: I. The, it's funny that the libertarians wouldn't want like more. You'd think anything over fifty percent would be like you're one of us. Hey, the
0: libertarians don't cut any corners. <laughs> huh? You have to. You're taking it more legit now that you didn't pass. Huh? That's oh, all I hear is that uh, seems like a little bit more legitimacy. You might be taking the libertarian quiz a little bit more seriously next time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel really bad for whoever's the, um, the user of imbordia at gmail.com. Because spam from it.
0: Well, with that, we, uh, I think we'll welcome anyone to write in about potential. I think we feel like we mentioned quite a few things that we could do episodes on. So if anyone has any particular thoughts on anything we mentioned or just really hates us now and is like, wow, these guys are idiots, they should talk yeah. about this or I, I
2: do feel like it'd be cool to have like a you know, somebody defend libertarianism. Cause I think like it's just, like I said, it's just so easy to caricature that
1: somebody to, have, like really defending it would be interesting. Let's invite Russ Ulbricht from president. At <laughs> we should. <laughs> we should.
2: Have have you did you listen to the like one of the the one of the recent Sam Harris's? I sent you guys the link to um Uh,
0: balaji is his name balaji srinivasan was that the four hour one yeah i haven't listened to it that guy
2: embodies the like what i was talking about with the neo-libertarianism and like Mm. bitcoin being its um its masthead gotcha it's uh i think yeah i think it's crazy but like that guy oh my god that guy's credentials though you like have to take him seriously uh
0: were they real diplomas i keep coming yeah. back he probably thinks He probably probably not on silk road though we all know that's one of i just conjured it out of the blockchain <laughs> i would like to hear the reasoning behind that but anyway we digress all right rational listeners thank yes. uh our special and guest we- carson Wack, for being on yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and Eddie, do you have something to say there at the end to our, to our fans?
1: Well, just that uh, when we digress, that was so different than usual. We never <laughs> exactly. digress. Yeah,
0: we're usually very didactic. Uh, and we have another special guest coming on next week to talk about the upcoming German election. So that's a little tease for you. Uh, an actual you know, doctor uh, from the state of Germany to come on and, and give us the, the know-how. So stay tuned, Rational Listeners for uh, for some of that action some of that great german political action
1: adios all right, all right. laters